This is the wrap-up of a three-part teaching series that I started on the 15th of December, Repeat the Sounding Joy. I have never in my life, I don't know if this should comfort you or frighten you, I have never, ever dealt with these texts. And, and I, what I have come to think is an obvious Christmas theme that maybe you all know and I have just missed. Christmas joy and the exodus from bondage. I have four texts. Please don't be shocked at the first couple thinking, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? If I, if I do things properly and the Lord helps us, I hope you'll see by the time we're done. Exodus chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. The I there, this isn't the devil, this is God. I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the handmill, and all of the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor will be again. Here's the next. Exodus chapter 12. 11 and 12 and then 29 and 30. Instructions on the Passover. God's people are going to get ready to be freed from Egyptian slavery. They will have the Passover meal. I'll talk about that in a minute. Moses is giving instructions. Exodus 12, 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I, again, this is God, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I, this is God, will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And then pick up 19, 29, and 30, sorry. At midnight, the Lord, very clear, struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock, Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Luke, chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Here's the story you know. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth 
and she gave birth to her her firstborn son. Wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. I have one more text, just bear with me. And when the hour came, this is at the end of Jesus' life, as he's about to be crucified. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and his apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover. This is what we were reading about in Exodus. To eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I suppose of these four texts, there's only one perhaps that seems even remotely Christmassy. The others seem kind of morbid, a little bit violent, maybe a little bit out of place. And yet I've, I've, I've come around to a place in my mind where I doubt that Luke's words about Mary and her firstborn son, I doubt that they can land with the intended weight without those chilling words from that first Passover account in the book of Exodus. I think that that Exodus account, and I'm probably loud, you can pull me down a little bit. I think I'm echoing a bit. That Exodus account, it keeps us from kind of a sappy sentimentalizing of the birth of Christ, God the Son, in that humble manger of gospel record. So I want to start with just a quick look at the Passover account in Exodus and define its meaning by seeing it fulfilled in the Christmas story. I still think I'm loud. Point number one. Sometimes they don't adjust. They just... Point number one. Initiating Israel's release from bondage was the death of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. We all know the details eh, of that epic account. God will judge at midnight. And under a darkened sky, God will require the life of the firstborn in every house. None of those firstborn died of natural causes. So like it or not, the sacred text says that God poured out judgment. If that's not true, then let's not read any text from God's word because the words no longer have any meaning to convey to us. Take note of something else, that this judgment is not just landing on every Egyptian house. There is no, there is no ethnic protection from judgment. This account needs to be read really, really carefully. Uh, there's no protection for Israel in her physical descent from Abraham. No Jewish family is spared on account of personal morality or family heritage. The blood of the Passover lamb has to be on the doorposts of the house. Only through the death of that lamb was judgment on the firstborn spared. And that night, the firstborn in almost every household in Egypt died. I'm not exaggerating. The Bible actually says that 
It says that in Exodus 12.30. There was a great cry in Egypt for, look at this, there was not a house. There was not a house where someone was not dead. This is the judgment of God landing. And it lands on the firstborn. The text is very clear. Had the firstborn not died, Pharaoh wouldn't have changed his mind. Apart from judgment landing so horrifically on the firstborn, Israel would have remained in Egyptian slavery, in bondage. The death of the firstborn made all the difference. The death of the firstborn launched the exodus out of Egypt. The seeds of deliverance were in the death of the firstborn. That's the thing I want you to see first of all. Secondly, Mary brings her firstborn into this world and into the manger. We read it. It's in that seventh verse of Luke chapter 2. She gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And she laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So now, centuries roll by. And another significant action takes place through another firstborn. But we know there will be no escape for this firstborn. There will be no gracious pardon for this firstborn. There will be no application of Passover blood to bring about his deliverance. The sky, read the crucifixion account, it will once again grow dark just as it did that first Passover midnight. The earth will quiver as if nervously on edge. And Jesus, the firstborn of Mary, will face the same climactic judgment of God. This firstborn will die to bring deliverance. Just as those multiplied firstborn in Egypt died, triggering that gigantic release from bondage. I'm saying tonight, this beautiful Christmas Eve with all the pretty lights on the platform, that we need, we need this picture of the death of the firstborn in Egypt, that first Passover, when we think of the death of Mary's firstborn, our Redeemer. We need to see something powerfully dark in the death of Jesus or we'll miss its greatest beauty. This is no accidental death that our Lord suffers. Divine judgment is being spent, meant for you and for me. We need to see the hand of divine judgment in the death of Mary's firstborn in a way that discomforts us a little bit. When you think about what we're talking about tonight, you'll see it over and over again in the New Testament, the way the New Testament thinks of the death of Jesus. The, the Exodus background of that divine sentence of death on the firstborn, it puts fresh edges on 
Paul's words in Galatians 3.13 about God's curse falling on the cross of Mary's firstborn. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by, by becoming a curse for us. My third thought here. Jesus forces all of our considerations of him and his death, his life and his death. He forces all of our considerations of him through a Passover lens of divine judgment. We know, right? Most of us know. He used many different images to help us understand his redemptive mission. He he, he called himself the good shepherd. He called himself a a nourishing vine that branches would receive life from. He called himself the light of the world. He called himself satisfying bread. He called himself living, refreshing water. But right at the end of his life, he did something quite different. And the clue is in that fourth text that I read. Luke twenty-two fourteen to 16. And when the hour had come, this is his death. He reclined at table. And the apostles with him. What's he going to say? Where is he going to take our minds? What does he want us thinking about as he goes to the cross? He tells us, I have have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Now, there's all sorts of feasts and celebrations throughout the Old Testament, many of them. Jesus doesn't pick any of them. As he leaves this earth, he says, this Passover. I want you thinking about Passover, right? In fact, it says he earnestly, I think, earnestly desire. Think about what's happening to Jesus. Mary's firstborn is about to die. And the final thing he wants to do, earnestly wants to do, according to our text, he wants to have this meal with his first disciples. Not just any meal, He specifically wants to have the same meal God initiated with those Jewish captives in Egypt 30 centuries ago. He wants their minds, he wants your mind placed at Passover when you think about why he came into this world. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us that that our Lord chooses a meal. Meals have always been great uh, carriers of, of special events and meanings. In fact, dare say, we will pretty well all do the very same thing tomorrow. And I'll bet you if you took everybody in the crowd and surveyed us, the menu won't vary all that much. We're all going to get together 
because it's a special time. And the thing that brings us together and unites our minds and hearts in a more powerful way than almost anything else is a meal together. It does something special to be around a table in a meal together. Ritual meals connect. They connect over decades. They unite our hearts around a theme. And Jesus commanded the same reminder for his church right up to his second coming. And and, and here's why. It's not, it's not that Jesus wants to use the Passover meal as, as a kind of analogy. My death is kind of like that meal those people had way back in Egypt. That's not it. He's not saying his death was looking back on the Passover in hindsight. That's not what he's saying. No, he's saying... Passover was looking forward to his crucifixion all along. It was pointing at it. It was anticipating it. It got its meaning from the death of Jesus, the firstborn. The meal was always about him. Its meaning was all bound up in God's greatest delivering work ever. Through the death of the firstborn. So in a sense, all the images come together in Christ. He's he's the curse-bearing firstborn who will die under a darkened sky. He's the lamb whose blood was shed, applied to our hearts, cleansing us from wrath and sin. His body was the same bread they ate 30 centuries earlier. He was holding bread in his hands as he said it breaking up the bread and he said it's my body that's what that bread was all about it was all about me it was all about my coming it was all about the deliverance I would bring that's why the baby was born my last thought the meal isn't finished yet I get that from Matthew 26, 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Please get this. Mary's firstborn ushers in no temporary exodus. This deliverance, through the death of Mary's firstborn, frees captives forever. There will be a new meal, Jesus said. There will be a new song, the book of Revelation says. There will be a new kingdom, Jesus said. There will be a new creation forever. And that is a Christmas worth celebrating. That is a Christmas worth celebrating. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing lasting. 
everything you are putting your hope in is going to betray you. Through the death of Mary's firstborn, Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, there was deliverance not just to the children of Israel out of Egypt. Deliverance from the fear of death, the guilt of sin, and eternal life in a new creation forever and ever more. Everyone said, let's pray together.